But yeah, you know. There was this period of time in my life when I was homeless. And I don't even like the way that hangs in the room. As if it should merely mean something. Somebody's coming forward to say something about homelessness. There was a period of my time when I was homeless. Oh no. Oh no, listen to it. But it's just interesting, you know what I mean? To be honest, you know, I can't even really consider myself really homeless. Because like at the time I was living in a men's shelter. That's a lot different than being homeless. Like sleeping on a fucking bench. That's how fortunate you can feel about yourself, you know what I mean? I was actually living in a men's shelter, and I was like, you know what? It ain't that bad, because I'm seeing people in the area of the men's shelter, like, sleeping on the curb, fucked up, walking over the place, doing all sorts of fucked up things. So it really wasn't even that bad, and it was for, like, a fairly short period of time, like four months, when everything said full. But the funny thing I always found about that situation was even though you are kind of like technically homeless, you know, you're kind of like without a permanent place of residence, your own place of residence, you still couldn't get away from like the fucking, um, I don't know what you want to call it, nagging. That's a good word for it, like the continual nagging of just like what do you want to call it consumerism? What do you want to call it capitalism? I'm talking about money. I'm talking about things that you know I don't even really know about. But I know there's a thing called money and the more of it you have generally you're better off. I mean it's better to have money than to have no money, right? Somebody showed me a saying the other day that was actually pretty funny. Money can't buy you happiness but nothing can't buy nothing. Nothing can't buy anything. Anyways, you couldn't escape that fucking consumerism. 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 I'm a stuttery mess, but I'll get it right. You couldn't escape from the consumerism. You know what I mean? They used to come around the fucking homeless shelter, research survey groups, and they would ask you, hey, would you be interested in participating in a survey? We're doing a survey on diabetes. If you're the successful candidate to contribute to this survey, we will reward you with bus tokens. We'll give you some bus tokens for your troubles, ladies and gentlemen. Bus tokens. What time they try to give us socks if we were to tell them about erectile dysfunction? If you suffer from erectile dysfunction, come down to the mess hall of your fucking shelter and do a survey on erectile dysfunction and we'll give you a pair of socks. Does that sound feasible? To any fucking person with a heart? What if I choose not to do that fucking survey? You're not gonna give me a pair of socks? I'm homeless. You just walked into like the little squalor of a den that I live in. People piss and vomit and shit in the fucking room I sleep in. There's bed bugs biting me at night. I walk, I wake up in the morning, my face is swollen with bed bug bites. And you know what they say to me as a remedy? Well, <laughs> I guess they must just really like you. And if I don't answer the survey, you're never gonna give me a pair of socks. 
on another note, there was this guy there. <laughs> he even had people laughing. We called him Cupcake. It's a Lebanese guy or something. No, he was Turkish. You know, kind of like a Turkish bathhouse. To put it mildly, this guy was gay as gay could be. And not that I give a shit, but he just broadcasted it, so you couldn't help but notice it. He'd walk around with his pants sagging down. He used to get up in the morning at like fucking five o'clock. You got all these drunken homeless people sleeping on their fucking little cots in a room, 15 pack, and they're like sardines, ladies and gentlemen. You're sleeping at five o'clock in the morning, and all of a sudden you hear. Live for duty on this magnificent October 3rd in the year of our Lord, 2019. Welcome and bienvenue to Jonathan Ramtran, the podcast. 
October 3rd. That's right, folks. It is the final quarter of 2019. All the best to you and yours going into this fall and winter of 2019. You still got time. You still got time to sweep things under the rug, clean up, look tidy before mommy comes home, you know, kick the shit out of the rest of this year, you know, give a good kick at the cat. Get a good kick at the cat of uh, the rest of your 2019. So all the best to you and yours this final quarter of 2019. So, if you're new to the show, Jonathan Ramcher on the podcast, I am a stand-up comedian extraordinaire. As you may or not know, or you as as you may or not what as you may or may not be. By the way, motherfucker, it's 2:05 in the a.m. All right, so don't get cute. Any of you listening out there, oh, he stutters. Well, fuck, I just woke up fucking five minutes ago. All right? I barely had enough time to make a cup of instant coffee before I came here to slave over this microphone, all right? So when you calm the fuck down? <clears throat> As you may or may not know, the podcast is a little late this week. Um, Yes. And I was thinking about it. I'm like, oh, shit. Like, I don't like it when the podcast is late because I look forward to the podcast. I plan for the podcast. I'm excited for the podcast. I got all the things sorted out that I need to sort out to record the podcast every week. Seemed like a typical recording week. But for some reason, I'm, I'm recording this late this week. Like, I'm about three days late on the podcast. And I got to thinking about it. What's going on? Then I realized, <gasps> I've been triggered. Yes, I've been triggered as of late, and it's been and it had and it had fucked up my sleeping patterns and and had fucked up my uh, I don't know like the last few days I haven't been sleeping well and that's really been affecting just how I've been operating in general. Now check it out, man. What is the definition of triggered? I got a dictionary right here. Dictionary, dictionary. Trigger. To initiate or precipitate a reaction, process, etc. Yes. So that's what happened to me. I was triggered. To initiate or precipitate a reaction, process. Yeah. I had a precipitated action occur in my life. And that's like, um, I know a lot of people get triggered, you know. Oh, you know, you you called me by the wrong pronoun. Uh, I'm triggered. Well, to each their own, suffering is suffering. (laughs) And, you know, who knows what will trigger who when. But uh, it's quite the thing when you get triggered because it's like it shakes your foundations. And when you think about it, it's not that, it's not that often, well, it depends on your nature, <laughs> crybaby mentality, but it depends on your nature, but it's, it, for me at least, it's not often that something rattles my cage, rattles me to the fact in which, you know, I'm, I'm left you know, I'm I'm left feeling kind of off balance and, you know, 
I guess, confused or what is happens when you get triggered? Well, you're just shook, basically, right? You're 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 not quite yourself, and you feel upset, more or less, right? Some strange, upsetting feeling. So check it. The Just for Laughs Festival concluded this past weekend. And um, it went out with a bang. I had a great time. The festival ran from September 19th to the, uh, the 29th, I believe, uh, 2019. So the Just for Laughs Festival... Just for Laughs Festival finished this past weekend. And um, I had a great time. I highly recommend it. If you ever want to go see some uh, top-notch comedy at some nice venues, uh, definitely Just for Laughs Festival. It's quite affordable, and it's very smoothly produced. It's very easy to go to your shows And um, they even have it with the packages that once you buy for like a headliner, once you purchase tickets to see a headliner, you also get these things called credits where you're allowed to um, go and see other various acts, very high level uh, headliners in their own right, headliner type comedians. And uh, every time you check into a show, you get the credit returned to you. So it's a good process. It's a good uh, good for the value uh, festival if you ever want to check out some great comedy. Just for Laughs Festival. I'm going to be there someday. But for now, I was an audience member. And I had a great time. So the last show was this past Saturday. I was getting ready for the podcast all day. Getting ready to record the podcast on Sunday. And I was very excited for the show. I'm going to go and uh, see um, some comedy. And who am I going to see? None other than... Steve-O. Steve-O of Jackass fame, dude. Oh, yeah, it's Steve-O, bro. Hi, kids. Do you like violence? Dude, do you want to see me stick nine-inch nails through each one of my eyelids? Copy me and do exactly what I did? Try Sid and get fucked up worse than my life is, dude. And Dr. Dre said, Nothing, idiots. Dr. Dre's daddy's locked in my basement, dude. (laughs) Feminist women love Steve-O. Steve-O. I went to see Steve-O of the Jackass fame. The Jackass franchise. Um, He's a stand-up comedian. Uh, And I thought to myself, Hey, what an opportunity. I'll go see Steve-O. So I get down to the venue. It's around 8 p.m. The show's about to start in an hour. I'd previously seen another comedian, had a great time. I'm in great spirits. Now, as I walk up to the gate of the venue, I can't help but notice this mob. This jackass mob. Steve-O! 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 Blunts are flying around. People drinking. You know, just chaos. Steve-O! Steve-O! And I joke. Uh, If you can call that a joke. But it wasn't chaos. It was just a lot of pot smoking. 
you know, people inebriated, bumbling around, chain-smoking cigarettes. I'm assuming they were drinking too. You know? And I'm just staring at this and, you know, they're, they're calling for their Messiah. Steve-o! Steve-o! Ooh, yeah! Steve-o! And I'm just like, Not quite my cup of tea. Not quite my je ne sais quoi. I'm looking around and I'm feeling a little perturbed. You know, getting a little fidgety. That ain't my scene. Now, some of my backstory for all y'all that are uh, tuning in for the first time. I am an alcoholic. So, you know, I'm two years, ten months sober. And I'm very grateful and I'm very strong in my recovery. I, I practice a lot of steps of recovery. I, I came up in the 12-step rooms. And uh, I feel very accountable for myself today and very strong in my recovery. But it's not my choice to be around a lot of rambunctiousness, a lot of juvenile angst, you know, pot smoking. <laughs> I love marijuana. (sighs) You know, people bumbling around and shit. Drinking, drunk, X, Y, and Z. (coughs) Ate my forte. And it's not as if um, I'm not around those things because I'm a comedian, comedian myself. I'm in the clubs. I'm in bars quite often. It's not something that particularly bothers me. But just the immensity of this crowd and and all the marijuana. And I have to stand there and choke back this secondhand uh, marijuana and cigarette smoke. And it was starting to kind of bother me. And not in any case of like, oh, I'm going to use myself. But just more so to the fact of it just was annoying me and making me feel uncomfortable. It's just like, why do I want to be there? And I got and I got to thinking, like, yeah, like, should I be here? Is this my scene? Is this a little too much for me? Because, like, I, I'm just standing in this line, and I'm, I'm lumped in with these people. And I'm thinking, hey, it's great. You know, they're here for Steve-O. They're actually quite cool. Nobody's being particularly obnoxious or rude. They're actually quite a quite well-behaved audience, crowd, fans. But... It's just the fact of me. I'm just not on board for that type of shit, right? And, but I figured, no, I gotta see Steve-O. Come on. You know? How often do you get to see a man staple his nuts to his thigh? You know? It's not that often. So I'm like, hmm. I gotta see Steve-O, right? So I stick it out. So finally finally we get corralled into the theater. And I go and I take my seat. And the crowd is all just a titter, right? Oh, yo, bro, it's going to be Steve-O, bro. Oh, Steve-O, bro. Yo, oh, Steve-O. Everybody's happy and the crowd's like tittering and this and that. Finally, the the curtain rises. Out walks Steve-O. Steve-O, steve The crowd's cheering his name. Steve-O, steve Hey guys, how's it going? It's me, Steve-O. 
I just want to say, you know, I'm very thankful, dudes and dudettes. Oh, wow. I'm just so thankful for you guys all being here. Like, as you guys well know, like, I've had my problems with alcohol, dude, and I've had my problems with drugs and sex addiction, and, you know, it's just been a real, like, uh, dude, like, I'm, I'm finally starting to get a hang of things, you know, uh, so, like, Steve-O, he's up there, and he's, he's pouring his guts out, he's pouring his heart out, you know, he's talking to the audience, cracking jokes, telling stories of, you know, like, for example, Steve-O, he's quite open about this, uh, he's one of us. He's one of these people who who's afflicted with alcohol and drug problems, right? He um, he he's had problems with drugs, problems with alcohol, sex addiction. He was watching pornography and masturbating uh, furiously during parts of his life. Um, he was having multiple encounters of sex with groupies multiple sex partners getting his dick sucked several times a night after a sold out crowd you know before a sold out crowd and the poor guy's been through hell and back groupie sex continuously euphoric drug overdoses and stuff like the poor guy's been through hell and back and he's on stage and he's pouring his guts out and he's talking to the audience and they're hanging on his every word they're laughing they're cheering they're empathetic they're just they're there for steve-o right they, they truly love him steve-o steve-o and i'm entertained i'm thoroughly entertained you know ah dude you know you know, I, like I said, it's been hell. It's been a rocky patch for old Stevo. You know, it's been some bumps and scrapes, ups and downs. But uh, you know, I'm finally in love. You know, I finally found some love, dude. And I'm telling you, like, whoa, like it's different when you're in love. So like, we're getting all this intimate knowledge of Stevo. You know, amidst his um, ball stapling and you know public defecations and, you know, jackass shit, eating weird things, hooping shit up his ass. Like, in between these little escapades, this the story unfurls, unfurls. This beautiful love story of how Steve-O's now in love and he's got his life back together and we're just getting a real funny, entertaining taste of what's going on with Steve-O interlaced with some... Awesome, entertaining, cringeworthy, disgusting, funny, hilarious clips. You know, the typical, uh, not so typical, he really went out on this one. He really put himself out there for this one. But, um, you know, the jackass type stuff that Steve was known for. The stuntman, daredevil, <laughs> pervert that he is, right? So I'm really entertained, right? The crowd's loving him. Steve-o! 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 And in the midst of all this, I'm getting a little more and more. I'm sweating. I'm spitzing. I'm getting uncomfortable. Like, I'm lumped in. Like, on one hand, I'm enjoying myself. I'm thoroughly entertained by Steve-o and his stories and his video clips and... But on the other hand, I'm getting very uncomfortable. It's a, it's a bit of a feisty audience. Like, well-behaved, a well-behaved audience, but they're all just, they're lit up. You know, there ain't no fucking question about that. They are lit the fuck up, tits up, right? 
I mean, how else do you go see Steve-O, right? And the people are just like, yo, bro, Steve-O's bothered, yo. That man's crazy, bro. Oh, whoa. The guys next to me were just like in awe of him. Like, whoa, bro, Steve-O's bothered, yo. That man's bothered, yo. He's fucked, yo. Oh, my God, that's hilarious, bro. They were like in awe of, like, the shit he was showing us. I'm like, yo, it's Steve-O. Like, I mean, like, you can expect some craziness, man. That's, that's, <laughs> his name's Steve-O, for God's sakes, right? But, you know, the crowd's loving it and lapping it up. But I'm lumped in there with them, right? With their fucking craziness and their fucking stoner, drugged-out, alcoholic ways. And, like I said, I'm getting triggered. I'm breathing in the guy next to me. He's like... The guy next to me is like just fucking double fisting these rums, right? Rum and Cokes. So I got like this hot rum and Coke breath on my fucking face like the entire night. And I'm I'm literally thinking like, yo, should I leave? Like, should I leave? Like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm getting bothered. But I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to walk out on Steve-O. No, I want to see Steve-O, you know? Thanks, dude. I think he I think he locked eyes with me too. He's like no he didn't. But uh <laughs> but thanks, dude. So finally the show uh not finally, but um the show continues and then the show's done. Steve! Thunderous applause. All right, guys, I'm going to do a Q&A session. I'm going to do a meet and greet. But I want you guys to just line up single file, please, one at a time, one at a time, please, for God's sake. Yeah, so Steve-O, he's doing like a meet and greet and he's trying to sort out his fans and everybody's like rushing the stage to meet Steve-O. And, um, you know, I'm like, yo, I got to go. So, you know, I just leave. You know, he's, he even said it too. He's like, if you got to go, that's cool. It's totally fine. It's actually even better. <laughs> I'm fucking busy, but uh, love you guys. I'm like, cool, Steve-O, thanks. So I leave and, you know, everybody's rushing the stage to get their picture taken with Steve-O. I'm out the door. And I'm walking home, and I am triggered. You know, I only know this in hindsight, but I really subdued my anxiety and um, annoyance. And um, the world doesn't revolve around me. The world doesn't cater to me. And again, Steve-O, Steve-O. His audience was very, very respectful. They were, they weren't obnoxious or belligerent or nothing, but they were partying, man. They were turning out, and yo, it was just a bit overwhelming. And you know, I, I try to hide the fact. I try to push aside the fact that it wasn't bothering me. But the truth is, it was bothering me because I kept it enough. I kept it together for the show. I enjoyed the show. But then, as soon as the show was done, I just rushed out of that place and like stormed home in a huff. Like I was in a like I was I was in a pissed off like not pissed off but I was bothered triggered triggered is the exact word for it because I wasn't mad I didn't have a bad time I had a great time you know you know I mean it's Stevo for God's sakes it's a very entertaining funny show and the crowd loved him and everybody was you know like I said the crowd was respectful but just the the amount of alcohol and marijuana and all that shit, chain smoking of cigarettes, it just made me like unsure 
It made me anxious. Anxious is the better word for it because it made me just anxious and upset, triggered. So I walked home in a bit of a huff and I was just like, I felt all weird and shit. And um, when I got home, I couldn't sleep. I was just up. I got home at like 1230 in the morning, I guess, 1230 in the morning. Uh, which was then Sunday morning, 12.30 Sunday morning, I get home and I lay awake and I watch a couple things on Netflix or I fuck around on the, on the internet for a bit. Finally, I pass out sometime around 3 o'clock, 3 a.m. Then I get up bright and early, 7 a.m. to record the podcast, which should have been this podcast. But I couldn't. I was like in a daze. I was kind of angry, disturbed. I was just in this weird daze. For days, I was in a daze for days. I just had bad sleep upon bad sleep, just feeling really weird and off-center. So, thank you, Steve-O, for a great show. And, um, and, and it also was a great opportunity to learn that, like, yo, I do have boundaries. Because, like I said, as a part of being a stand-up comedian, um, not as a part of being a stand-up comedian, but... If you're new to the show, I kind of count off the things that are going on with me at the moment. So that's me, Jonathan Ramcharan, stand-up comedian. And that's also me, Jonathan Ramcharan, alcoholic, where it's like, yo, I have to be more aware of those things. Like, I kind of knew I was feeling a little bit like, yo, this this ain't the spot for me. I was getting a little triggered. But, um... You know, it's water off a duck's ass, quack, you know, like uh, I got through it, I had a great, great time, and, you know, it kind of had me off center for the last couple days, but, you know, it's a good lesson learned, because um, it's important to pay attention to signs, right? As an alcoholic, two years, ten months of sobriety, it's important for me to never forget I'm always in recovery, I'm not cured of this. So when I feel like something can potentially threaten my sobriety or when I when I feel like something's fucking with my je ne sais quoi, I got to pay better attention to that. Because I kind of tried to... But then again, what could I do? I really don't know if I made the right... That's the thing. I still don't know if I made the right or wrong decision. Because I enjoyed the show and I, I didn't want to walk off on the show, but... You know, I ultimately paid the price. I left feeling very triggered and anxious. And um, like I said, here I am, two years, uh, 10 months of sobriety. What I did was I joined a 12-step program. That's nothing official. These are meetings that are conducted in cities all over the world. All you got to do is show up. There's probably one in a city near you. And you can sit and practice different steps of recovery with people. You can share on your issues. You can hear about other people and their issues. Through that, you become a part of a community. And day by day, um, you're given a daily reprieve from the turmoils of addiction. Then one day you find yourself in a new day. Things look different and you're, you're living a new life. But, uh, yeah, I highly recommend it if you should need it. And, uh, but one thing that's been chapping my ass lately about, you know, that world is the, um, 
over aggressive panhandler. The overly aggressive panhandler. Because yo, it w- like it wasn't enough that I was triggered coming home from Stevo. Stevo, dude. Like it wasn't enough that I was triggered coming home from Stevo. You know, I didn't know how to feel. I'm laughing. I'm triggered. I'm kind of nauseated. Like I was, it was a swelling mix of emotions going on for me coming home from Stevo. Laughing, triggered, crying. You know, nauseated, slightly turned on. Like I didn't know what to think. So I'm stumbling home from this Stevo event, and uh, fucking this guy approaches me. Right, it's like midnight. I'm walking home in the downtown Toronto. It's like midnight. This fucking panhandler comes at me. Hey, excuse me, bro. Excuse me, bro. Excuse me, bro. Excuse me, bro. I just like breezed past him. I just walked past him, right? And that's my thing. I do not stop for aggressive panhandling. Call it what it is. That's a substance abuser. Um, there's a documentary that came out recently on Seattle. It's a fairly well-received, well-known uh, documentary on Seattle, Washington. You can get it on YouTube. And it's basically how the homeless have taken over a lot of the downtown Seattle. It looks like a tent city. It looks like a refugee camp. People are pinching these shanty houses, living in these little lean-to tents. And it's basically all drug addicts, you know? And they did a little research on it, and there's a little insight into it. And it's, you know, a high percentage of these people are drug addicts in this Seattle documentary, which is not so far removed from, I would say, society in general. In the Western world, at least in North America, barring uh, Mexico, because I'm not so familiar with the culture and climate down there, but definitely United States, Canada. When it comes to homeless people, yo, you're talking people with fucking uh, drug problems. That's what it is. Few of them have mental health issues. That's all. But like the majority of it is fucking substance abusers. People with drug and alcohol problems. Those are the type of people who live on the street and panhandle. That's not a logical thing to do. You know, like nobody. Oh, you know, I'm down on my luck. I got fired. I know what I'll do. I'll sit on the curb and panhandle. Like, nobody fucking does that. That's a fucking substance abuser. And like I said, I tote the line, well, like I've said in the past, I tote the line of empathy and judgment. I really have empathy for these people, but I also have a lot of judgment. And it's just not a good look. And they need to be real. And we need to be real when dealing with them. It's like a health issue. And it's also... It shouldn't be condoned. I don't know what the answer is, but to give them money is, especially when they're aggressive like that, I mean, I just can't do it. And it's not so much the fact of, it's like I you don't want to reward bad behavior. And I don't know what the answer is, but the answer is not to reward bad behavior. And... So with these aggressive panhandlers, right? Like I said, in my story, I'm walking home from the Stevo event. 
this fucking guy comes up on me. Excuse me, bro. Excuse me, bro. Excuse me. And he's like fucking calling at me in the night. Calling at me, calling at me in the midnight hour. You know, scaring me half to death. I'm like, fuck this. I just kept walking, right? I don't stop for that shit. Any aggressive panhandler talking, I never stop for it. If they come up to me, they're kind of like, oh, excuse me. You you know, I'm like, I'll, I'll be civil. I'll be like, oh, sorry, sir. Sorry, miss. No. Um, I stopped giving change. I used to. And like I said, I, I just don't think it's right to reward bad behavior. I don't do it anymore. It doesn't help them. They need to see what... I mean, I think they should get a taste of what... You're asking me something ridiculous? Sorry, the answer is no. They should feel that. They should be told that and felt that, oh, yeah, like, this is weird and wrong. I shouldn't be panhandling. Like, that's the vibe that they should be getting, right? But anyway, it ain't... uh, Bottom line is they're coming at me. They're coming at you. They're coming at the general public (gasps) with their anxiety. It's like, fuck off, right? So this guy's coming at me. Sir, do you have any change? Do you have any change? I'm like, ugh. So I walk off, right? And aggressively, he's like, and he rips a fucking tree branch, a a neighboring tree branch. He rips a tree branch off by the root or, well, I guess not by the root. It was the branch. He rips the branch off and like starts wielding it around in some crazy alcoholic drunk stupor. And I'm like, holy fuck. So, ugh, while I tote that line of empathy, I also have judgment. And, uh, yo, I'm just not down for panhandlers. So, but hey, you know, as I mentioned, I am an alcoholic. I'm one of them. And to anybody suffering out there, I do always uh, carry this message in all of my affairs. So there you have it. Jonathan Ramcharan, alcoholic. I am also a janitor. Yes, 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 yes. Janitor. Um, that's a gig that I do that pays the bills. Simply put. I had some things I could talk about, but you know what? I talk about it from time to time. Today, I'm not really feeling like it, you know. Basically, what I do is I push my little mop bucket. And I dump it in the water. Then I mop the floor. I'm talking like squeegees. Squeegees, window washing. Pushing garbage trolleys. So, like, generally speaking, throughout the week, you can find me headfirst in a urinal, changing toilets, mopping toilets, plunging toilets, and it's blessed. Like I said, what it does is it facilitates um, my recovery. It gives me something to do in a positive light to earn money, to cover my overhead, and it keeps me in the game of stand-up comedian, performer. It keeps me in that game because, you know, after a certain time, you can't be playing the starving artist card. Not for any fucking bureaucratic horseshit reason, like, oh, I give a fuck what people think of me. But it's just a reality. As a grown-up, as an adult, you can't just be... And I never really did this, but it's the idea of 
you got to, like, you know, scrounging and mooching off of people. Like, I never did that. I always kind of had my own place, paid my own way. But you got to... Um, you got to be able to cover your bases for yourself. And that's just a part of being a performer. And that's what this janitorial hustle does. You know, you can't be living on people's couches, being that starving artist. That's what they fail to tell you about being a starving artist is that um, unless you make it, you're pretty much just a loser. <laughs> you're one step away from being an aggressive panhandler. Got any change? Got any change? Right? So... So anyways, um, yeah, and um, what I'm going to do is just keep on my janitorial hustle, dot my T's, cross my I's, and um, keep working at it, keeping the dream alive. Hallelujah. Jonathan Ramcharan, janitor. And last of all, I am a actor. Yes, I am an actor extraordinaire. 18 years of service, diploma in theater arts. As I mentioned, I was triggered this week and uh, was having this and that, problems, whatever, coming out the other side, feeling like a begonia. I think that's a flower, by the way. Feeling like a fucking rose petal coming out the other side. Oh, feeling good. And one thing I wanted to do, um, which I started this week, was um, I started making a schedule. I have like a calendar, so now I'm scheduling my time for how I want to focus, um, you know, uh, study. I'm reading different books, exercising, doing things to keep myself alive as a performer, as an actor. So now I have a schedule. Um, I'm reading a bunch of different books on theater, performing methods, things that are kind of, um, you know, mime pantomime, different acting techniques. I'm reading up on that. I have my schedule. It's on my calendar. And I also made a visualization board. Yes, a visualization board. Well, it's more like a visualization page. It's more like a page. I went on Microsoft Paint and I made a little collage and I printed it up on an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. And it's just like little images of motivation, things that I want to get to in my career. And I tack that up on my fridge. So every time I go to the kitchen for a drink of water or whatever, I have this visualization page, visualization board. And, you know, it helps me connect with my goals. And they say that visualization is a very um, important tool. And uh, definitely as an actor, definitely as an actor, the imagination that comes with visualization, which is often an uh, unsung virtue of the actor, the actor's imagination. Because when you really think about it, past the age, past the age of 10, who gives a fuck? Who gives a fuck about imagination? They just tell you, stand in line, walk in line. Right this way. They try to beat it out of you. Stop having an imagination, you fucking idiot. It's time to do your taxes. What are you fucking doing? And it's often an undersung virtue of the actor because really, I mean, here I am, a 32-year-old man. Why should I give a flying fuck? But it's because I have the love of storytelling, of, of which is um, what acting is. 
It's a heightened form of storytelling, which really all art is, but more obviously acting. It's a heightened version of storytelling. We enact various characters under various circumstances, which is a heightened form of storytelling. And it's really an unsung virtue because it's like, yo, it takes a lot of energy and effort and imagination to portray characters that way. And past a certain age, who really gives a fuck? The heartfelt actor, that's who. You ever look at fucking, you know, Meryl Streep or Clint Eastwood and think like, why the fuck do they even care? You know, 85, 90 years old, whatever the fuck they are, still up there acting. It's like, who gives a shit? right? Well, that's the love of the actor and the imagination. It's not exactly an easy thing to conjure as we get older in general, right? So it's very often unsung, the virtue of the actor's um, imagination. Because uh, I think it's taken for granted a lot that, oh, that's just what they do. It's an easy thing to do. It's like, well, no, actually, that's part of what's so defining between the people who make it and don't make it in the acting world. It's um, it's their level of dedication to that craft and what it takes to conjure up those pro- portrayals, portrayals, those characterizations and how they manage that. And my visualization board is helping me keep productive in that vein. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Those are the things that sum me up at the moment. Jonathan Ramtram, dude. Gnarly, dude. Steve-O. Jonathan Ramtram. Stand-up comedian. Alcoholic. Janitor. Actor. So, welcome to the show. Yes, um, we're in October, as I mentioned. Pretty soon, the Great Pumpkin, oh, Charlie Brown. Every year on Halloween, the Great Pumpkin flies out to the pumpkin patch to deliver pumpkin seeds to all the little boys and girls. Shut the fuck up, you bedwetting, blanket-holding little weirdo, Linus. The Great Pumpkin, I said shut up. Pretty soon, the Great Pumpkin's gonna be here, you know, it's, uh... It's that time of year. Well, it's getting to that time of year. Fall, October. The weather's kind of um, nice, actually. Very nice. We're having a bit of a Indian winter. All brown face and black face jokes aside. Uh, we're having a bit of an Indian winter. Indian summer. Here in uh, Canada, Toronto. I think so, anyways. The weather's been pretty mild. And, uh, yeah. Hoping it continues. Here's some interesting things in the news as of late. Uh, Here's a little interesting news article. Speaking of uh, Indian summer, brown face. Jagmeet Singh, confronted by man who tells him, cut your turban off. That's sad. Jagmeet Singh. Jagmeet Singh. He's the leader of the NDP party. He's a Sikh man. He wears these beautiful turbans. He's actually quite a handsome man, too. Yeah, if you can look past the beard and the uh, culturally weird thing he wears on his head. I think it's called a turban. <laughs> Kidding. It's called a turban. Uh, quite a handsome man himself. Quite angular in his features. But anyways, um, check this horrible little news blurb out. As if it hasn't been hard enough lately for us black people, the brown community with uh, 
Justin Trudeau and his little antics, <laughs> his uh, black face, brown face antics. I was wearing makeup, and I was wrong. <laughs> no shit, you fucking idiot. But anyways, um, here's the latest blow. Uh, Jeg meet Singh. Well, this has nothing to do with Trudeau. It's just this has nothing to do with Trudeau as more it is to just the uh, cultural insensitivity that um, you know minorities deal with. Check this out. Jagmeet Singh, confronted by man who tells him, cut your turban off. NDP leader, this is from the, uh, by the way, this is from globalnews.ca. Article by Amanda Connolly. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh pushed back at a man who confronted him at Montreal's Atwater Market on Wednesday and told him, cut your turban off. Singh was in Montreal ahead of the TVA French language debate, debate, which is taking place at 8 p.m. in the city and following a media availability with reporters earlier this morning. The NDP leader went for a walk through the open-air market with his wife, Gurkikarikana Karu Sidhu. I'm sorry, she's not the candidate, so who cares? Around noon. Media following the campaign accompanied him, and at one point, Singh approached a white-haired man in the market and said, Hello. The man asked how he was doing, and after a brief exchange, leaned in to speak closer to Singh's ear. You know what? The man said. What? What's that? Singh said, or responded. You should really cut your turban off, and you look... And you'd look Canadian, the man said. Singh put one hand on the man's shoulder and responded, I think Canadians look like all sorts of people. That's the beauty of Canada. In Rome, you do as the Romans do, the man said back. This is Canada. You do whatever you like, Singh said. The man then turned away and Singh and Sidhu walked away. And again, I feel sorry for... uh, Bumbling his wife's name, Jagmeet Singh, uh, his wife, Gurkarin Karu Sidhu. So yes, um, the man asked how he was doing, and after a brief exchange, oh, sorry. uh, So yes, basically, um, this man makes this horrible comment. You would look more Canadian if you cut your turban off. And in Rome, the Romans do as the Romans do. To which Jagmeet Singh says, This is Canada. You can do whatever you like. Uh, The man then turned away, and Singh and his wife, Sidhu, walked away. So yeah. Culturally inappropriate bullshit. I mean, what a... Angry sack of shit. There's a, you could see it on the website, globalnews.ca. This tub of shit. This angry old white man. Uh, he goes and he says this to poor old uh, Jagmeet. And, uh, I mean, all I can really say is this is the reality that, um, you know, a lot of minorities face. And it's ugly and it's coming out more and more so. This is how a lot of people really view the world. Throughout through their own lens of, you know, do as the Romans do, do as I do. And, uh, 
I don't know, just ugly. And, um, you know, I really don't know. During this whole election season, um, the federal election is October 21st, 2019, the next federal election. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's really an ugly tone that you're seeing in this Canadian landscape as of late. And um, all I can say there is, um, you know, I take license to joke as a comedian. Uh, I'm part Indian myself before you guys try to get me canceled from SNL. (laughs) My big SNL audition's coming up. So before you guys try to get me canceled, uh, like that poor bastard, uh, that poor comedian that got canceled from SNL for making some racial slurs on a podcast. That we're quite ignorant, but then again, we're comedians, we're ignorant. <laughs> um, you never know what the fuck is going to be um, interpreted from your jokes. But uh, hey, fuck it. I ain't no political candidate. And I ain't, so don't try to cut me out of politics for what I'm saying here. I am of Indian descent as well. If I wanted to, I could wear a turban, but I don't because they look ridiculous. Kidding, Jagmeet. But uh, Jagmeet looks quite fetching in his turban. But uh, his turbans. But, uh, you know, I'm, I just, ugh, it's just a weird climate. That's the word, climate. It's a weird temperature out there in regards to race. And, you know, on one hand, people want to go, oh, enough already, I'm sick of it, who wants to hear about it, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, well, actually, um, it's quite of the now, is it not? It's quite, um, it's quite relevant. That's the word. It's quite relevant. Everybody would love to just sweep these little racial issues of inequality and racism and prejudice. Everybody would like to sweep that tidily away under the rug. Just sweep it under the rug. But no. This is what the fucking truth is. There's an ugly underbelly and there's these prejudices that prevail in society. And there are these systems that are set up to try to keep people down, hold people back. And, um, you know, like, for example, there was a bill that was passed in Quebec. Bill 21, I believe. That's part of the article here. Uh, Bill 21. uh, Let me take a look here. I'll get the exact info. Uh, The issue is particularly visceral in Quebec, which earlier this year passed Bill 21. That legislation banned the wearing of visible religious symbols by civil servants in positions of authority and quickly emerged as a sleeper issue in the federal campaign as both liberal and as both liberal leader Justin Trudeau and conservative conservative leader Andrew Scheer have refused to commit to a court challenge of the bill. Yeah. So darling old Jake Meat looking cute and quaint and is uh like he, he is a quite handsome man, very athletic. Like I said, beautiful beard, colorful turbans, quite a fetching young Sikh man. Well, he's, you know, I guess he's like pretty young. I think he's like mid 40s or something. So quite a fetching specimen in his turbans and shit. And they're trying to shut him down in Quebec with this fucking, well, just all, anybody representing government in Quebec, they shut them down with this 
Bill 21. Bill 21, which is like, yo, you can't wear um, religious apparel or whatever if if you're a... What, what, is, what is the fucking statement? Um, uh, a ban of wearing of visible religious symbols by civil servants in positions of authority in Quebec. Yeah, so that's what they're banning. And uh, that's what the bill accomplished in Quebec. And like these issues of prejudice are obviously there. And, you know, I'm really interested to see how this election unfurls because uh, just with the whole Justin Trudeau blackface thing and then, you know, a fucking prominent member, the leading leader of the NDP party, Jagmeet Singh, has somebody accost him with this ugly racial religious prejudice. It's like... uh, what the fuck? What are you supposed to make of it? I don't know. You tell me. Hit me up. jr.thepodcast at gmail.com Let me know your feelings on those matters. And please, for the love of God, don't get me fired from SNL. You know? <laughs> so that's another story that's been in the news as of late. Stand-up comedian, actor, Shane Gillis uh, was hired and fired almost in the same breath from Saturday Night Live, SNL, for some uh, racial slurs, comments, jokes about Asian people on a podcast. Yes. So, a podcast of Shane Gillis, apparently, well, not apparently, I I saw the video, so it surfaced in 28, a podcast from 2018 where he makes some racial slurs towards Asians, the Asian community. So SNL sees this video and um, almost in the same breath, hired and fired. We regret to inform blah, blah, blah. blah, blah. They tweet some stupid bullshit. And uh, Shane Gillis gets fired. And um, there's a couple ways of looking at this, you know. Um, On one hand, I see that, okay, well, I saw the clip. The comment was uh, beyond tasteless. Though, as comedians, that's what we do. We tell jokes. We uh, we try to find where the line is. We try to hone our craft, hone our jokes. It ain't easy. So, you know, the man was joking. And, uh, you know, it was tasteless, for sure. <laughs> And, you know, it, it even begs the question of like, well, you, you reap what you sow. There's your bed now laying it. That's the repercussion of the comments you make, right? I mean, you know, I have to think like, okay, well, here you are. Like he said, he, he sends out a tweet, Shane Gillis. He goes, um, I'm a comedian, something to the effect of, He's a comedian, funny enough to get on SNL to begin with, which they can't take away from him. And that he's actually, uh, you know, he's sorry to whoever who, who he may have offended and that he's actually a mad TV fan anyway. <laughs> a fan of the TV show Mad TV. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's funny. And 
Though, like, you know, this, this, this video clip of him pops up from 2018. And like he said, he's a f- comedian funny enough to be on SNL. So it makes me wonder, like, okay, well, a lot can change in a year, right? This podcast is, was from 2018 where he got busted. So a lot can change in a year, but it makes me think, well, if you're a comedian who's, like, on that level where you're auditioning for network television... Part of the gig is playing by their rules. I mean, if you're in that world of network television, it's 2018. It's 2019. It's, it's, this is the time where people are very sensitive. So if you're going to be playing their game, you got to play with their ball. You know what I mean? Like, that's their ball. That's their game. You know? That's their ball sack, right? Like, you got to play with their ball sack the way they want their ball sack played with. And, um, oh my god, are you making fun of ball sacks? Fired. But, like, it's... It's unfortunate, you know? It makes me wonder. It's like, well, didn't he know better? Like, you're gonna make comments like that, go ahead and make them, but, you know, you're sitting in the tree. You're sitting in the tree you climbed in. You know? You're laying in the bed you made. You know? Like... Don't, like, yo, you're trying to get on network television. Well, what did you expect making comments like that? And this this video wasn't too long ago. It was 2018. Like, wasn't he somewhat in that world around that time? But then, like I said, he's a young guy, so, like, a lot can change in a year. Maybe he wasn't on that type of radar back then, and he's just trying to do his jokes and work out his shit, right? So it's like, you know, there's that thought. But there's also this, which raises a good point. I saw a lot of comedians talk about this. It's like, well, they obviously knew who who they were dealing with. Like, are you are we to are are we to believe that SNL goes and hires a cast member, one of the most prestigious spots in comedy you can get? Granted, SNL is kind of lame. Nobody really watches it. It still has a has that name, like Saturday Night Live. That's like an institution, right? It has reputation. So it's like, what the fuck? Like, are we to believe that SNL hires this comedian with no previous knowledge of his work, of his style, of his personality? Are we just to believe that? No. It doesn't make sense. They must have known him and his style. They must have known his brand of humor. They hire him. Then they get approached by a Twitter mob. No, no, down with Shane Gillis. He made this comment. Wah, wah, wah. And they cave. They cave to the Twitter mob, the online trolls. They cave. Spineless. You know, they, sh- you know, they should have they stood behind him. Well, actually, to be honest, I don't know what I think about that. I do think it's cowardly. I do think it's kind of spineless not to support what you say you support or not to stand for what you say you stand in. Like, they obviously knew his humor and they didn't back him up come the wet-ass hour. They didn't back him up, but I don't know what they should or shouldn't have done. That's their business. That's their brand. But, um, you know... To give in to a Twitter mob is also wrong. You know, like, 
I don't believe he should have lost his job over it. I believe he made some tasteless jokes. I believe they were ignorant and quite unfunny, <laughs> to be honest. But hey, that's like half of the shit I do. <laughs> you know, like you don't know what the fuck's funny. You got to try shit out. And, you know, to lose your job over it, you know, something as meaningful as a network televised job to lose it over a few comments. Ah, you know, it's a very, it's a very tense situation we live in these days with Rachel, with racial climates, with prejudice, with cancel culture, the whole world of human interaction. Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. What do you think are the ramifications from a podcast? Would you want to see me fired from a future job because I made fun of, I think I made fun of Smurfs a couple times, a couple episodes back. I talked about baby Smurf getting drunk. I I talked about getting drunk with baby Smurf a couple episodes back. What do you think of like, maybe in like, you know, a few years I get an audition for, you know, Smurfs, uh, the next saga. And I get an audition for to be in the next Smurf movie. And they're like, oh my God. Breaking news, Jonathan Ramchand made fun of Baby Smurf on a podcast in 2019. Fired! Fired! Like, what do you think of this cancel culture? It's it's a bit much, isn't it? Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. Um, what else is going on in the world? Um, you know, the other big thing is... Um, well, not the other big thing. There's all sorts of things. I mean... Tale as old as time, you know, uh, an incel, you know, incel, involuntarily celibate, those people, those incels, uh, this incel idiot, uh, you know, who killed all those people in Toronto in the Toronto van incident, he was in the paper, they're debating whether or not he's mentally sound to stand trial, blah, blah, blah. There were some more killings, um, you know, the BC killers, those two teenagers that went on that killing spree earlier this summer. Um, some model in Saudi Arabia or something like that. She was slain, uh, an honor killing in 2016. Actually, I think it was Pakistan. A 2016 killing of a model, an honor killing. Her brother killed her. That was an honor killing. Uh, police suicides. I mean, I just lump all that into pointless killings. There's just so... If, if you're getting a theme from what I'm talking about in world news, it's just the pointless, ugly bullshit that seems that human beings are always up to. It's always a racial slur. It's always some sort of prejudice, bigotry, or a pointless killing incels killing people because they can't get laid honor killings as if your fucking family honor or your personal honor is above the life of another person you fucking deluded shithead this fucking dude in pakistan kills his sister because she's like a feminist and she's on facebook and youtube making videos and um she's like getting a following on online and he calls it like a honor killing. 
you're a disgrace to the family name. I kill you. And he kills his sister. Just completely pointless. These um, BC killers, British Columbia, these teenagers, they go on some killing spree. Pointless. And they wind up killing themselves by suicide. Um, there's these police suicides that are becoming more and more prevalent, I guess. More talked about anyways. Some Ontario police officers, as of late, killed themselves. One in which killed himself at like an Ottawa... I don't even want to look up the article. I have the newspaper here, but I'm like, ah, fuck it, who cares? I just want to sum it all up as this. Pointless killings. Something going on with society, man. China's crying for democracy. Actually, China... um, The whole thing behind the China protests of the summer of 2019 was they were opposing this extradition bill, which was to have um, the mainland China was to have the authority to extradite people from Hong Kong to the mainland China in some uh, hyped up extradition bill. The people were saying, hey, this is an imposition on our democracy. People are going to abuse the power. The government's going to abuse the power. So that bill was actually put aside. The protests actually were successful. But China, uh, these protests in Hong Kong, they're just gathering more steam because they're crying for democracy. China's crying for democracy. So the protests are continuing on, even though the initial goal was met to shut down that extradition bill. The protests are continuing on. Hey, that's cool. Um, And uh, I guess the Trump impeachment. Trump is uh, again in hot water. Fake news. Fake news. This is the biggest witch hunt. Let me tell you this right now. This is the biggest singular witch hunt in history. All right? Singularly, the largest witch hunt in history. Fake news, okay? Fake news. Bunch of pundits. Fake news. Donald Trump under impeachment for um, some leaked conversations with Ukraine. I got an article right here right now. Um, It's a short one. I can read it. Hopefully, it will sum up the whole issue of what's going on in... uh, the whole impeachment of Trump. Where is it? Flipping through the newspaper. Uh, can't seem to find it offhand. Um, oh, the horoscope. You guys want to hear my horoscope? No. Ah, here we go. Here we go. So... Uh, Attorney General going rogue. Critical of Barr for handling whistleblower report. Um, This is from the Sunday Sun, September 28th. It's an old article, but it's ongoing, um, this whole impeachment thing. The information's all the same. So, 
House of Representatives Speaker Nancy Pelosi on Friday accused U.S. Attorney General William Barr of going rogue in the Justice Department's handling of a whistleblower report that President Donald Trump solicited a political favor from Ukraine's president that could help him get reelected. The Democratic House leader, who launched an impeachment inquiry on Tuesday against the Republican Trump, has accused the administration of trying to cover up the whistleblower complaint. On Friday, she lambasted the Justice Department and the country's top intelligence official for their roles. Democrats say Barr should recuse himself from matters related to the whistleblower complaint prompted by a July 25th call between Trump and Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky. He's gone rogue, Pelosi said of Barr to to MSNBC. According to a summary of the call released by the White House, Trump asked Zelensky to work with Barr and his personal lawyer, Rudolf Giuliani, who was pressing the Ukrainians to investigate matters related to former Vice President Joe Biden Biden and his son, Hunter. Okay, so yeah, basically Trump, he's again in hot water. Uh, These alleged, uh, depending on the ruling, these Ukraine conversations with the president and, uh, you know, trying to pry into matters um, that could affect the election. So, you know, are these legal? Are these illegal? Time will tell. But, you know, you know, it's I don't know. I don't know. It seems like he is the Teflon Don. It's just one thing after the next. Isn't this like his third impeachment inquiry? You know, but um, these are the times, people. Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. What are your opinions on the Donald Trump Ukraine scandal? What are your opinions on cancel culture? What is your opinion on um, racial bigotry in elections? Uh... More notably in the Canadian 2019 federal election. What are your opinions? Hit me up. jr.thepodcast at gmail.com Alright ladies and gentlemen. It's your old chuckle buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramcharan. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent October 3rd in the year of our Lord. And again, do hit me up. jr.thepodcast at gmail.com any questions, queries, or qualms regarding the information heard on this podcast. Thank you very much for bearing with me. I know I was a little late on this one. I was a little triggered. I was this, I was that. But hey, going forward to a beautiful day. Till next time, ladies and gentlemen, you live it, you love it, you realize it. I peace.